Well, good morning. So how many of you guys watched the Super Bowl earlier this year? Just me, two, Tim, Rachel, Roger? Um, I think I was surprised, like, like many people, um, I think. But I want to say good on Tom Brady and the team. Um, so, you know, this is my first time preaching outdoors, so it's weird for me to say, please look down on your phones. I'm usually trying to get my students off their phones. Uh, but my, my slides are on, are on the phone. I try to make them simple this week because I know it's, we got small screens and, and whatever, so there's no fancy transitions or whatever, just, just the verses and uh, a few pictures, really. So if you want to look on the next slide, I want to explain this, and if you're, if, you know, if you're at home on Zoom or you know, the, go to our weekly bulletin and where all our lyrics are, and that's where, our, um, that's where all the slides are. If you look at the first slide, or the, after the title slide, the, the second slide, I want to explain this. And I realize that not many of you may understand football, and so therefore you, you guys might be tempted to tune out now, and I, please don't. Uh, I'm going to explain this picture in very simple terms. Um, I'm going to call this the red team and, and the white team. Most of you probably know which is which. Um, what you're looking at is a moment when the red team was uh, not successful in a play. Um, they failed. And a player on the white team comes up to taunt or mock a player on the red team. And you can see like he's flashing a hand signal, right? He, he's very confident in himself, right? He's, he, he's very sure of himself. He's, he's very happy in this moment. And a big reason is that his team, the white team, was up by a large number of points. It's late in the game. And they were probably going to win the game, which, which they eventually did. And I, I get, I understand taunting and mocking in sports. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's right, but I, I understand it, okay? And if, if you play sports, you might not do this at the beginning of the game, right? Because you might not know what the outcome is, right? It would be silly to mock a player of the opposing team and then a couple hours later be eating humble pie because, you know, the, the opposing team beat you, right? You, you, you hear of comebacks all the time. So today we're going to talk about mocking, but before... Before we do, uh, let me open up uh, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die on that cross for us. It's by your grace through our faith that we may enter that kingdom of heaven. I pray that our faith, uh, our faith journey would reflect this, Father. I ask that you send the Spirit to us strengthen us, uh, revive us, uh, help us, us, help us in our lives down here. Um, I pray that we would not make a mockery of our faith. In your son's most holy and precious name, amen. All right, so it's been a while since I've spoken, and I want to summarize a bit on the backstory. I've, I've been preaching on the book of Matthew. Uh, I, started in, I started in 2010, which is 11 years ago. All right, and I've been preaching one little passage once a month or so. And so 11 years, we're almost at the finish line, okay? Uh, we, we should finish uh, later this year, okay? That's something you don't uh, see uh, when you preach indoors. Um, and so, yeah, unless we have a second pandemic, uh, I should, I, we should finish Matthew uh, in 2011. So this is 11 years in the making. Um, but right now, uh, we're going through Jesus' final week before his crucifixion. All right, so you know we're at the end of Matthew, right? Uh, Jesus was arrested in the garden. He was tried in court. He was convicted. He was denied by Peter. Okay, just to refresh everybody's memory. 
he's presented before Pilate, this Roman governor, and after some brief questions, Pilate, instead of uh, opting to reduce or um, to release Barabbas, another prisoner, he releases a um, he he really uh, he instead of re- uh, releasing Jesus, he he releases Barabbas, uh, another prisoner. So if you have your Bibles or your or your phones. Uh, we're going to begin in Matthew 27, 27. I know some of you guys bring out your physical Bibles. That's great. Uh, Matthew 27, 27. Should be easy to remember there. 27, 27. All right, so Jesus has been sentenced. All right, and then here's where we pick it up. Verse 27. Then the, sol- the, <laughs> then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. You can see immediately that they're mocking Jesus. And the, f- and the first three things they do, right, is, is, is the robe, the crown, and the staff, right? And already there's this misconception that he's an uh, uh, actual earthly king, right? And they're already mocking him for that. Like mocking him, making, trying, to, trying to make him look like a, like a pretend king. Like, you're a king, you say? Sure. Well, here's your robe. Here's your crown. Here's your staff, All right? Let's continue to verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And you can actually Google images of this. It's, um, it's really interesting. There's a place that actually looks like a, a sunken skull. There they offered wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Anyone know what gall is? Yeah, I didn't either. I've read this like so many times growing up, right? And so I finally looked it up. It's, it's these little, basically these little growths on plants that are really bitter. And back then, when you mix that with sour wine, this was often given to the suffering to ease their pain. In death, so this mixture was actually offered to help Jesus. They weren't trying to troll him even more, or trying to give him something bad to drink. It was actually meant to help him. And I think it's interesting that that they cast lots. They basically gambled for his clothing. I'm like, when I read this, I'm like, why do soldiers want his clothing? Like in today's terms, right? Do do the do the armed guards cast lots for the orange prison jumpsuit? You know, that for for prisoners on death row. Like, why do they want his clothing? This is the clothing of a religious criminal, of a religion that the soldiers aren't even a part of, right? Why, why do they want his clothing? I think it's strange. But if you look it up, it's, it, it is part of prophecy. And in, in terms of his charge, it was normal back then to put the charge against the criminal above their head. Crucifixions were often placed um, along the roads leading to Rome. And they kind of they served as a warning to people as you entered Rome. This is what happens to criminals, and, and above them, you would see the charge so that you could see what they had done, right? So as if to say, you know, you do this crime, you know, whatever's written above their head, you get this punishment. You know, here's a person who, who stole or, you know, or, or did this or did that. And um, if you want to look at the next slide, it's just a typical painting of the crucifixion. 
Um, and you've probably seen this a million times. I had. The next time you see an old painting, you might notice the letters uh, INRI, I-N-R-I, written above Jesus. Uh, this is in Latin, and it, stays, and it stands for Eosus Nazarenus Rex Eodorium, and which means Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Right? And so you can see, and they just, you know, they, they truncated it, or they, they made it into an acronym. And this title was actually meant to mock him. Right? And in today's times, if we did this today, you know, we would put... You know how people like do the air quotes, like "sure, you're you're king of the Jews, sure." You know, you know, well, whatever you say, right? It's the, it's it's kind of hard to communicate, but there's that it's that level of sarcasm, right? And it, and actually, if you go to the uh, the Gospel of John, we don't get this level of detail in Matthew, but the chief priests actually object to this title, like, "No, no, no, cut that out, you know, take that down." He's he's not our king, but Pilate basically says, "Well, what's done is done, right? I, we're gonna mock him, and you know, it, it's fake, but whatever." And you can, so even now, the criminal charge against Jesus is meant as a mockery. All right, let's, let's go on. In verse 38, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. We will believe in him. Verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Even as he's dying, people are mocking Jesus. They're basically saying, you said all these things, you made all these claims, now prove it. And I want to focus on some of the phrases they said. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He saved others, but he can't even save himself. Let him come down. Let God rescue him. This is all equivalent to, to show me the money, right? The proof is in the pudding, right? And these are interesting statements. He saved others, but he can't save himself. When I read that, I'm like, I think this acknowledges that Jesus did save others. It acknowledges his miracles. It acknowledges his healings. It acknowledges his powers. All that. And obviously, word about his miracles he was performing would spread quickly throughout the region. It would go viral if they had the internet back then, right? We would see videos of a guy like walking on water or healing the blind. Can you imagine seeing Jesus feed 5,000 people on, on YouTube? Right? Those, those videos would be amazing to watch. And to me, this should have been a cognitive disconnect for them. Not like, not like, ha, he saved others. He can't save himself. But more like, wait, 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 wait. He saved others. Why isn't he saving himself? Because he probably can based on everything else that we've seen him do. Something's up. This should have been a clue that something was amiss. Something warranted further examination. Maybe something like, man, man, wait a minute. We're looking at this all wrong. This is the same guy who calmed the storms, the same guy who fed 5,000 people, the same guy who raised people from the dead, cured people from leprosy. We saw lame people walk again. This guy probably has the power to come down from the cross by himself. Why isn't he? Why isn't he doing that? I don't get it but they're too busy mocking Jesus to bother. 
And you can see even the criminals next to him pile on, to him, pile on him as well. Uh, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I think it's interesting that those who are sentenced to death, you know, they are sentenced to death, and, and yet they still bother to mock Jesus, ridicule Jesus, insult Jesus. You know, in the present day, this would be like if you're on death row and you decide to mock somebody else on death row, Right? Wouldn't you be contemplating your own life and life choices that led up to that moment instead? But they're too busy mocking Jesus to bother. And this all got me to thinking, do do we still mock Jesus today? And I think people mock Jesus both directly and indirectly today. Directly and indirectly. You know, mocking mocking is teasing, laughing at at somebody in a condescending manner. You know, you, you look down on them. And I, I was thinking, you know, why do, we, why do we mock? And I think it's because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We can put somebody beneath us. And when others are doing it, it's easy to join in, to be part of the in crowd. Just work with adolescents or be a parent and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And you can see that's what's clearly happening here. The soldiers, the rebels, the crowds passing by, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, all these groups all mocking Jesus, all piling on. Uh, if you want to look at the next slide, it's a map of the United States. Um, I wanted to give some perspective on where I grew up. Uh, many of you knew that I grew up in the Midwest. I spent most of my time in Ohio and Wisconsin, um, some short stints in Michigan. Uh, in my life, um, I have mocked other people, and I have been mocked by other people. In most of the states I lived in, there, there, there was, and, and there probably still is, a, a low concentration of Asians. And I've mentioned before in previous messages that, you know, I, I was one of three Asians in my entire graduating class. Three. Uh, my class was 550 people. Um, I, I showed a yearbook picture, if you guys remember. Uh, there, was a, there was me in a sea of white faces. <laughs> I experienced a lot of racism as a young Asian kid in a predominantly white area. I was mocked for just being Asian, just for being different. You know, obviously it's not a pleasant feeling. You feel uh, pretty powerless in this situation. And the reason is, mockers tend to have the upper hand, right? At least perceived, and it's often true, right? Mocking comes from assumed uh, higher position, higher confidence, right? In, in the picture that we looked, the football picture, um, uh, we saw in the beginning, when, when, when one's mocking the other, right? His team was winning and he felt safe it was safe for him to, to mock, right? You wouldn't mock a teacher, right? You wouldn't mock a coach. You wouldn't mock a boss to their face, right? You wouldn't do that because you know you'd be in trouble if you did, right? You might be disciplined. You, you might be kicked off the team. You might, you, know, you might be fired. If we mock, it's, it's when we feel it's safe to do so. And I think it shows a real lack of respect. Maybe we mock our own brothers and sisters, Maybe we mock our own spouses. And uh, if you want to look at the next slide, even Elijah does this in 1 Kings. uh, Look at our next verse. He knows he has the high ground. He's in a better position. And he mocks the followers of Baal, the uh, rival god. And I I want to make a long story short because this message isn't about that one. And it's a fun story, so read through it someday. But Elijah basically travels, I'm sorry, he basically challenges some, some false prophets to a contest to determine which god is real. 
uh, he kind of allows them to go first. And so you know, the false prophets, they start shouting for their God, but there doesn't seem to be any response. And then he, so, he says this in 1 Kings eighteen twenty seven. At noon, Elijah began to taunt, mock, uh, taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened, right? And you can tell that Elijah, he's just being cocky right now, right? Like he's just, oh, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Shout louder, right? And they, they probably didn't appreciate him doing that. You wouldn't mock someone who you knew was more powerful than you because you fear or you respect the person. So when you look at today's passage, people are mocking Jesus to his face. They're spitting on him, right? Would you do that to your teachers or your coaches or, or bosses? Or It's easy to mock your boss behind their back, but do you, you know, their back, but do you do that to their face? These people were mocking Jesus to his face. They did, the, they did the fake robe, the crown of the thorns, the staff in his hand. They struck his head. They spit on him. And today, people might mock Jesus by asking in the, midst of a, in the midst of terrible events, like, where's your Jesus? Huh? Isn't your life supposed to be better as a Christian? I thought, thought Jesus was the answer. I thought Jesus saved the world. Where was he when infamous dictators rose and rose to power and did what he did to millions? Or the natural disasters that killed more, more than millions? Or when wars killed hundreds of millions? Or when diseases killed even more. I guess, I guess God was busy, huh? Was he in the bathroom? No time, too busy to save his people? And so Christians can be mocked for having outdated beliefs following an, an old ancient book called, called the Bible as a way of life. And I think this is how Jesus or his followers can be mocked. And I think... I think that the mockery in our pastors today stems from the fact that they had this misconception about Jesus. The Jews wanted a, a real Jewish king that would deliver them from Roman oppression. A real king would bring them glory. A real king would conquer their foes. A real king would establish a great nation state, usher in a long and prosperous reign for its citizens. The real king would not, of Israel would not die this, this death of a common criminal, right, at the hands of their oppressors. And when their vision of a messianic king didn't materialize in the events surrounding Jesus, they must have felt safe to mock him. It's probably not this guy, so we can mock him now. Right? They had the upper hand. I think they would never have actually mocked Jesus if they thought that Jesus was the actual Messiah. And from their limited perspective, they think Jesus needs to save himself. Right? Uh, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Let God rescue him. They see it from a human perspective. You see someone nailed to the cross, and the natural thing of is escape, you know? If you're in a bad situation, try to get out of it. That's natural. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus needs to save humankind, and that's, that's the exact thing that he's doing. And while, while normal people, like me, would, they'd probably be thinking, like, man, I, I'd rather be anywhere else but the cross here. Jesus is maybe probably thinking... I'm exactly where I need to be. Why, why would I escape? Why would I save myself? I can. I, I, this is why I need, I need to be right here on the cross. Why would Jesus try to escape? <laughs> he allowed himself to get arrested. Uh, he said nearly nothing at his trial 
to get convicted. He didn't, try to, he didn't even try to defend himself, uh, either in his trial or to Pilate. The cross is his end game. That's his one mission. This whole, we, we, we've been in Matthew since 20, 2010. This is it. This was the mission. Why would he leave it now? Come down from the cross, save yourself. Jesus is not the one who needed saving. Even hanging on the cross, Jesus is not the one who needed saving. It's us. It's the crowd. They needed saving. We needed saving. Not Jesus. But again, he wasn't the savior that people wanted. A convicted criminal dying on the cross. They wanted a victorious king. And I think that we can get caught up in this type of thinking today. Okay, we, we might not want Jesus to conquer our enemies, right? Or like the Jews back then. But I think we want Jesus to conquer our problems. We want a comfortable life. Life is good. If life is good, then sometimes we forget Jesus. Sometimes we only need Jesus when things go wrong. Then we turn to our faith. I've been like that. My prayer life got significantly better after some traumatic events in my life. Why wasn't my prayer life good already? And so I think for many of us, Jesus is not the Savior we really want. Just like the Jews. Maybe we want just a comfortable life. Maybe we don't really care about saving from our sins. Maybe we just want a really nice life. Sometimes the Savior we want solves all our problems. You know, it makes everything comfortable. You know, pain-free, good career, good family, good life. Because what we, short, what we short-sighted humans want to focus on often is, is the here and not the after. The here and not the after. Right? It's this implicit contract. I'm using air quotes all, all day today here. It's the in, in, internal contract that we make with God, right? We, I worship you. I, I, God, I'll go to church every week. I'll read the Bible now and then. I will try to play nice with others. I'll behave. And in turn, God, in turn, God, you will answer most of my prayers. I, I don't ask, ask that you do all of them, but most of my prayers. Help me through most of my problems. Help me live a comfortable life. If many of us are honest with ourselves, that's the God we really want. Not the saving from sins. We just want a nice, comfortable life. And I include myself in that. But that's not how it works. Jesus is a Savior we need. We need to focus on the afterlife. Not this life, like the Jews back then and, and us today, potentially. And I want to look at a little nuance here. I said we mock Jesus directly and indirectly. I want to talk indirectly. You know, when you, when you make, you can mock someone directly or mock something directly. And you can uh, make a mockery of something. Does that make sense? Right? You can make a mockery of something. And it's to make, if you make a mockery of something, it's to, it's to make something look foolish or absurd or, or silly or stupid or, or useless. Right? This is an indirect way of mocking. And this, I think this is the final slide. Um, I usually have it with me, but, you know, it's an online thing here. Um, there's a couple pictures. Um, it, it's a couple humorous pictures of some animals uh, making a mockery of signs, right? And, and the way they're doing it is just by being present in the actual picture. I, I chose a couple humorous pictures, right? There's a, there's a dog with sunglasses, right? It says no, no pets or no dogs. Um, I, I chose a, a cat one. Uh, I wanted to be neutral because I know there's cat people and dog people. You guys know where I stand, but I just wanted to be fair to you dog lovers, all right? 
you can see perhaps it's mocking its authority, like the, the sign's authority, no, no pets or whatever, or its intent, right? They're making the signs seem useless, right? We can see that. Now, other examples could be, you know, maybe someone's smoking in front of a non-smoking sign or, or you know, whatever. Back in the Midwest, and you guys saw a picture where, where I used to live, um, I had a lot of students who, after graduating high school, went on to attend Christian colleges. And many of the Christian colleges have a, uh, uh, ha- have a no alcohol policy, no gambling policy, no smoking policy, you know, regardless of age. And I remember being very impressed with the students who were required to sign a covenant with the school. I'm sure there are dress codes somewhere in there too. Um, I went to the University of Wisconsin. Uh, it's, a, it's a Big Ten school. That there's no co- we didn't have to sign either that covenant. And many of my former students would come back after a semester or two and tell me that, well, they saw a lot of those things happening anyway on campus. And I was shocked. I was like, what? And I was incredulous. And then, and then I realized how naive I was. And one might say that the students who were violating the rules of that covenant they signed were making a mockery of the covenant, right? Making a mockery of the rules, making a mockery of the school policies. I talked to Pastor Mike, and you know, he was the dean of students at Heritage Christian. And they have similar uh, uh, handbook that uh, both students and parents need to agree to. So this kind of mocking is a little bit more nuanced, right, to, to make a mockery of. And so I think we make a mockery of Jesus both directly and indirectly today. And one more example, um, you know, if, you, if, if, if you've been married and you did wedding vows during a ceremony, if you guys remember that far back, it's a forever kind of thing, right? To love and to hold, you know, to cherish forever, Right? But what if then, right after you made your wedding vows, you wrote up like a, like, a, like a 10-year marriage contract, right? Like, we will be married for 10 and only 10 years, okay? That marriage contract would kind of, it would kind of make the wedding vows pretty useseless, right? Like, it, 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 the 10-year wedding contract would, would basically be making a mockery of the wedding vows, right? Like, what's the point, Today's message could have been a don't mock others, don't make fun of others, you know, be humble. And and that would have been a perfectly fine message. It would have been. I I, I believe that. But I want to make a suggestion that 2,000 years later, that while we may may not mock Jesus in the way that we read here in the passage, there might be other ways in which we might make a mockery of Jesus. The former by doubting his presence in a real and tangible way and the latter by not following Jesus' commands. We are commanded to do things or not do things in the Bible, right? Do we make a mockery of our faith when we sin, especially intentionally? Do we make a mockery of our faith when we sin, especially intentionally? When we know we're going to sin and we don't care. I've been there. where I knew exactly what I was about to do and I knew I wasn't, sh- I wasn't supposed to, I shouldn't be doing this, and I did it anyway. For us Christians, we represent Jesus to the world. And just as how a Christian college might try to protect its image, and, and Christ's image, by the way, by asking its students to refrain from certain behaviors, do we honor Jesus in this world? 
this isn't a legalistic message to try to convince you all to, to, to obey everything in the Bible, okay? Uh, this message isn't trying to get you to, 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 to just behave. But I want us to start thinking, do we think things or, we do, or do we do actions that are not loving our neighbor as ourselves? And how does that reflect on Jesus? How does that reflect on our faith? I think it's safe to say that none of the people who mocked Jesus believed in him or believed his claims. And it's easy for us believers in, in 2020 hindsight to condemn these people, uh, the soldiers, the priests, the passers-by. You know, we could just easy, it's easy for us to condemn them as, as, as just big jerks. Maybe we read the story today and say, man, how dare they? In the football picture we looked at the beginning of the message, that taunt or that hand signal was making the other player or other team seem useless or, or hopeless. I watched the game, and it was, it was pretty much over by that point anyway. It was adding insult to injury, piling on, which is exactly what all the people in today's passage did. They were piling on. They saw a poor, defenseless, ordinary man about to die, and they piled on. Where is your God? Save yourself. Just like that player, that arrogant, uh, you know, yeah, what now? <laughs> you know, where are you now? What are you going to do now? In the football game, it was, you guys are losing, and there isn't much you can do about it. In the passage today, it's, you're dying, and there isn't much you can do about it. We may not directly mock Jesus the way the people did in our passage for today, but I think there are ways in which we indirectly make a mockery of Jesus or indirectly make a mockery of our faith. And I think there are ways in which we mock or make a mockery of his kingdom, his message, his, his messianic nature. I don't want to list all the inappropriate behaviors. This isn't some legalistic message. But I do want to invite you, wherever you are in your journey of faith, whether you're, you're seeking right now, you're not sure about this whole Jesus stuff, or you were saved, you know, you accepted Jesus as a, as an elementary school kid. I want to invite all of us to contemplate where we are in our journey and what it means to us. And I, I urge all of us to take the commands of the Bible seriously. I pray that we would all honor God in this way and avoid mocking our King, mocking our Savior, our Messiah, our Christ, named Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send the Spirit to us to make your presence to us abundantly clear. I pray that you be with us and walk with us in our journeys of faith. I pray that we would investigate your claims of messiahship, of kingship. I pray that we would we'd investigate your claims that you are the Son of God. Seriously, Father, to take heart what you've said and what you've commanded us. Father, I pray that we would take our faith seriously, that we would honor you, would glorify you in our actions and our thoughts. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.